0: About two weeks ago, uh, I got a very unique phone call. Uh, and that phone call was, Thomas, I need you to pray for my dad right now. He just had a heart attack and he's on the way to the hospital right now. And I don't know what's going to happen. That Shep, that, that call was from Shep as Mr. Shepard was escorted to the hospital Shep closely arrived afterwards and for the next few minutes, those that time was extremely suspenseful for him. He arrived and CPR was being administered to his dad and a defibrillator was being warmed up to attempt to shock his heart back to life. Shep stood there watching and wondering if his father was going to be resuscitated we've been journeying through the book of Ruth. And we ourselves have been standing in a story where death and calamity and the cutting off of a family line have been, you could say, one of the major themes throughout the book of Ruth. And as we've made our way through this amazing book, we've encountered a mother with her daughter-in-law in in some of the most dire of circumstances. Yet through it all, there's been a ray of hope shining through, demonstrating that things may not turn out the way the story puts on. The presence, the kindness, and the providence of God just so happened to be shimmering and shining under this cloud of darkness and death. Ruth has been a masterful story that reveals that the God of Israel, the Creator of Heaven, the Sustainer of your life, dispenses hope when everything in the world seems hopeless. Now last week, Doug brought us up to the end of chapter 3. And I don't know if you felt this way, But I know I surely did at the end of three, I was a little uneasy. How were things really going to turn out for Ruth and Naomi? We we were cheering for Boaz to marry Ruth. Ruth showed up at the threshing floor and says, marry me, Boaz. We're like, yes, this is the ending we all wanted. But Boaz, in keeping with his godly character, says that not so fast, Ruth. There's somebody else between you and me who gets the first opportunity to redeem you. And if he says he'll marry you, great, that's wonderful. But Boaz also says, but if he doesn't, I promise I'll step in and do do it. And I was like, Boaz, what are you doing? You've got the girl. Just just say yes. Order the catering, set up the banquet, arrange the marriage. Man, what's going on? Not another redeemer. You, Boaz, you're the one we want to marry Ruth. Not this other guy, Mr. As the Hebrews call him, Mr. No-Name. I mean, his name's not even recorded. We don't even get his name. Who is this guy? This is not the resolution we want. And as we're going to see today in chapter 4, it may not be the resolution we want, but God gives us the resolution we need. Because God, our God, the God of Ruth and Naomi, the God of your life, is not in the business of making romantic comedies, giving us warm and fuzzies that often lead us to cheer for temporary pleasures. You see, God is concerned, friends, with giving us eternal pleasure in Him through His plan to save the world, which is called redemptive history. So he, God, continues the story of redemption with the heart of a Christ-like, kingly Boaz in his hand. Ensuring that the story of redemption doesn't get buried and cut off in a foreign land. Footnote, where Elimelech is currently buried right now in Moab. God will resurrect new life from the death. this death-tainted story of Naomi and Ruth such that He and He alone gets the glory and that the King of kings will be born of the lineage that God preserves. God is ensuring that His future promise, and what we'll see in a little while, a promise He made a very, very long time ago, will indeed come to pass that an eternal king will reign in the seed of David and he will give new life and he will be the true and better redeemer you can find ruth chapter 4 on page 210 of the black bibles in front of you i encourage you to Go ahead and turn there in your own Bible if you have a copy of God's Word. And by the way, if you don't have a copy of God's Word and need a copy, please feel free to take that Bible that's in front of you. That's our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. And As we go through the Word this this morning, I'm going to walk through certain sections of the text that follow the storyline of this story. It's actually a narrative. So I'm not making so much of an argument like Paul might make in one of his letters. I'm simply following the story that's being told to us. And I'll read each section. We'll start in the setting we're given and the gate. And then we'll move through the rising tension asking the question, who is going to be this new Redeemer? Mr. No Name or Mr. Boaz? Then we'll reach the climax and the resolution where we find out who the blessed Redeemer really is. And then we'll conclude in a very joyful place with a new bundle of joy in the lap of a former lamenting, dejected and downtrodden, hopeless woman. Let me pray for us as we get started this morning. Oh, God. You are so amazing. You have given us this beautiful story. Although with a dark and heavy cloud of death about. What we will see God is you are the one who provides life. You do what is impossible. You provide hope God. You provide new life. New eternal life. And God. What we'll see in the grand story of Scripture is that You do that through Your Son, the King of kings. Oh God, now give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts and minds to understand what You are revealing. Lead us, God. Be with us. Spirit, move and draw us to this great redemption story. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So here we are at the gate in verses 1 and 2. Look with me there in 4, Ruth 4, 1 and 2. Now Boaz, in keeping his word to, to, to Ruth at the threshing floor and fulfilling the promise that Naomi makes to Ruth to say, oh, well, he's going to go and settle the matter today. So Boaz does that. He goes up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, The Redeemer whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And they sat down. We see Boaz in action here. He goes to the one place where he knows that a business-like land transaction and the redemption prices are paid and witnessed. The gate was somewhat of what we may be familiar with is the town square. It was where one was most likely to find all the necessary people for a crucial matter as making sure Naomi and Ruth were redeemed. And that matter could be settled quickly within a matter of minutes. And Boaz, we see, has no trouble pulling everyone into the impromptu meeting necessary for this legal transaction from one family of land, from one family to the other. In this case, there were some specific conditions that were going to need wisdom, clear-headed judgment, and witnesses if things were going to actually work out for Naomi and Ruth. The city gate was even constructed in a way that made it possible for meetings like this to happen. Archaeological excavations of city gates in the time have shown that the, the gates were fairly wide and deep and there were also benches that lined the walls of the gate. So it's really easy to go to the gate and find everybody you need and sit them all down and have a talk with them. So Boaz sees Mr. No Name, as we've called him already, and literally... We never find out who this guy is. And he says, sit right here. And then he finds he's sitting there and he sees ten wise, godly men. He says, Hey, you guys, I need you to come and sit down. These gentlemen were probably heads of their household, possibly even judges in the city of Bethlehem. They were known for their wisdom and knowledge. And Boaz asked them to witness. What's about to happen? And then, in the next section of this rising tension to find out who the Redeemer will be, Boaz steps in with the precision of a skilled prosecutor and he begins his case. Look with me. Who will this Redeemer be then? In 3-6. to Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, Who has come back from the country of Moab is selling a parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, That day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you will acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Boaz, with the witnesses all around, seated in their positions along the gate wall, presents the opportunity of redemption to this nearer kinsman redeemer or family member redeemer. Naomi is selling her land because her husband has died. We know that. Boaz says, well, do you want to step in and take over for Naomi and Elimelech? And if you're not willing to buy it, then I will. I mean, he committed his word he is committed to his word back in chapter 3, verse 13, where he promises that he would redeem Ruth if the nearer Redeemer gives up his right. He said, to, he said to Ruth at the threshing floor, I will redeem you if this guy won't do his job. But the Redeemer says he'll do it. And Boaz, in a wise and crafty way, brings in the reality of when one redeems Naomi, who is past childbearing age, also redeems Ruth. And Ruth, unlike Naomi, is young enough to still have children and perpetuate the line of her husband, Maholin, and her father-in-law, Elimele. No matter the, who the Redeemer was, the law stated that the Redeemer had to marry and do what was necessary, know her as the Bible will say, so that she could have a male child who would be the heir of the inheritance. So by default, the act of the kinsman redeemer was an act of redemption and sacrifice of himself in order to preserve the life of another family member, typically, the widow of his deceased brother. The other kinsman and redeemer, though, is unwilling to make the necessary sacrifice once he hears that Ruth is in the picture. When it was only Naomi and her land, his purchase of the land had a great deal of possibility for, bound, for a bountiful grain production, likely doubling his own current land possession. I mean, I don't know about you, friends, but if I were given the opportunity to double my production in one day, in one meeting, I'm very, I'd be very tempted to take that offer. He was willing to do it and do the right thing if the right thing, though, did not put him at a disadvantage financially. Because when Ruth was in the picture, This closer kinsman redeemer knew that the Lord may indeed bless her and all of his investment would enter back into Elimelech's family no longer paying the dividends that he believed possible. But Boaz, but Boaz was willing to pay the necessary price to uphold and satisfy his position as redeemer. He has shown himself to be radically generous all along. Look back at uh, what chapter two, verse fourteen. Ruth there, just fresh into Israel, out of Moab, joins Boaz for lunch. Come sit here, take some of my bread and dip it in the oil. And, and oh, by the way, hey, can can you guys pass the grain to Ruth? So generous. And then in 2.15 and 16, he instructs the reapers to allow Ruth to take from every place that grain could be found. If she finds it in the field, let her pick it up. Oh, oh! by the way, as you guys are cutting it down, leave a little stack over there for Ruth to find some more grain. And oh, oh, by the way, when you bundle it up, take some of it out of the bundle and and give it to to Ruth. Boaz, so radically generous. And in the end of the day, in chapter 2, she ends up with Uh, As Doug has told us, six gallons of grain to take back to Naomi. And then in 315, uh, what what does Boaz do? He heaps six measures of processed barley. Like she doesn't even have to go do the work to get the grain out of the ear so that she could use it in her home. Like he gives her six measures. However, I mean, she had a she must have had a huge bag on her back going back to Naomi that day. Of processed barley. Wow, Boaz is so generous. And now Boaz is willing to make the sacrifice to purchase the land knowing full well that this will be a substantial cost rather than an investment with hefty returns. Like, let's remember, friends, Just to put ourselves in touch with the story a little bit, that Elimelech's land has been left fallow for 10 years. No one has touched his land for 10 years. And not only has it been fallow, but it's likely vastly either one of two things have happened to the land. It's well overgrown with weeds. Or it's an absolute dust bowl with the possibility of a lot of erosion problems and topsoil necessary for the growing of grain has possibly even some of it has washed away in those 10 years. A lot of sacrificial work is going to be necessary to bring this land back to its heyday. And this also, not only was it sacrificial of Boaz to do this, but it was also risk-taking faith on his part. I mean, Boaz, I mean, Ruth, I'm sorry, Ruth had likely been married to Mahlon for a good part of those ten years after they arrived in Moab. But in ten years of marriage or nearly ten years of marriage, Ruth has not had a child. This would have been seen as so unfortunate and nearly as improbable as it could be that there would actually be an heir born to Elimelech to a barren Moabite woman. She is at a complete disadvantage in the situation. Possibly biologically, especially culturally. But Boaz, willing to step in and sacrificially give himself so he trusts the Lord, knows what he's doing and and what and knows what he's doing and allowing Him to be this Redeemer. And Boaz is absolutely prepared to do what's necessary to turn the land around so it provides for Naomi and Ruth. He's also prepared to marry Ruth. Provide an heir to ensure that the line of Elimelech and Maholan were perpetuated. His sacrificial generosity and risk-taking faith, friends, is blessed by the Lord and would be no benefit to Him but that of only Naomi, Ruth, the heir, their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren. Boaz steps forward. And in verse 7, turn back with me look at chapter 4, verse 7, there's, a, there's sort of an explanatory note of what happens after Boaz gets to be the Redeemer. It says, Now this was the custom in the former times of Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging. To confirm the transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So Boaz steps forward and sealing the transaction with the exchanging of sandals. Here, take, take my shoe. I'm really serious about this deal. Boaz is now the Redeemer, standing there with a sandal in his hand and a wedding to plan. Woo, yeah, that's right. Amen. Praise God. And next in the story, we see that Boaz is the blessed kinsman redeemer. Look with me, pick back up in verse 8 through 12. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are the witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to the Chil- to Chilion and to Mahlon also Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Mahlon I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his in, in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate, because by this time, not, it wasn't just ten elders, the other kinsman Redeemer, and Boaz. People had started gathering around to say, well, what is really going on here? So everybody's at the gate now, or a lot of people from Bethlehem, And they say, and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, you should all do that right now. Okay, so because this is amazing because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz recounts that what he has done in redeeming Naomi and Ruth in front of Mr. No Name, 10 elders and a large portion of the town that he is doing he is going to do everything required of him to ensure to ensure not that he get a return on his investment but that Elimelech's family has a real chance of survival and the crowd goes wild yes finally everything we've been waiting for Boaz is the redeemer and in the midst of all of this, Boaz receives two very interesting blessings from these nice Bethlehem townsfolk. May your house be like the house of Rachel and Leah. And may your house be like the house of Perez. Perez. I think Doug is going to shed some light in here about the significance about Tamar and Judah and Perez next week as he finishes for us the lineage in the end of chapter 4. But, what in the world are these blessings? I, I, I mean, maybe there was some sort of old floor plan or photo album laying around that Boaz could say, yeah, build me a house like that. I don't know if that's what's going on. The first blessing is a is a blessing that invokes the continued blessing of an ever expanding nation of Israel. But it's recalling just how Rachel and Leah preserved the house of Israel by by God opening their wombs so that they could bear the house, or grow the house of Israel for Jacob. God did something amazing in those two women's lives. He gave them a number of children so that Jacob's lineage would be preserved. I would encourage you that to go and read the story of how God opens their wombs and transforms these barren women's lives These, these stories can be found in Genesis chapter 29, 31 to, 31 to 30, and then Genesis 35, 16 to 18. It's an amazing story. The second blessing. The second blessing is a little more tantalizing and, and could seem a bit counterintuitive of being a blessing. Again, we'll wait for Doug to explain that for us next week. I'm not, I don't have time to get there. But what this is in keeping with, what this blessing is in keeping with is God's plan, His ways of redemption and blessing turns out to be far more amazing than anyone could have ever dreamed or imagined. Essentially, the people bless Boaz to have a house that will perpetuate the seed of the woman and grow the nation of Israel. Look with me in verse 12 where it says, uh, may the blessing be on you like the, like your house be like Perez of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. I want you to know something. That word offspring is in the masculine singular. Now, uh, we know that Jacob had 12 children. So, so what's going on? Do we want... Do we want Boaz to have a bunch of kids or do we want to have one kid? Only one is needed. Because this very word hearkens all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God promises that he will send someone to crush the head of the serpent, he will send an offspring of the woman. God is perpetuating the seed of the woman. So that it could be that Boaz's son, or as we will see in verse, 14, verse 4, 417, one of his far off grandsons will be the much anticipated snake crusher. Boaz is blessed by the people of Bethlehem to perpetuate the seed of the woman who God promised in the garden will kill the great enemies of God's people, namely death and the devil. But this can only happen. This can only happen if God moves and opens Ruth's womb. Will He do it? Will He do it? Surprise! A new Redeemer is born. Look with me in verses 13-17. to So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Bless the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, Obed, who was the father of Jesse and the father of David. Praise be to God. Amazingly, miraculously, after ten years of barrenness, Ruth conceives a son. And that son is born. And then something strange happens again in the story. Ruth and Boaz seemingly fade from the picture. And Naomi here is the focal point of these verses. And the women reveal that there's actually a new Redeemer who will bless Naomi. Look back with me at verses 14 and 15 here. Listen to what this, the women say. Bless be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. May His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter in law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Who did Naomi give or who did Ruth give birth to? She gave birth to Obed, not Boaz. So a new Redeemer is on the scene. Obed Obed is laying in the lap of Naomi. Boaz and Ruth fade fade to the background. The spotlight turns to Naomi and her son. And all of a sudden, at least I hope, friends, if you've been paying attention to the story, the lights go on. And we see what God has been up to all along. God takes a barren woman and makes her a grandmother. He takes a hopeless woman and fills her with uncomparable hope. He takes a bitter situation and makes it stunningly sweet and wonderful. God takes two women who were no better off than dead and makes them alive. God opens the womb of Ruth and blesses Naomi with a grandson who will bless who will receive the blessed inheritance that Boaz has sacrificed for finally in a spectacular turn of events God preserves the lineage of the most amazing king of Israel And ultimately, what we will see is the lineage of the King of Kings. The One who will hold the scepter of the house of Judah forever. The far off great grandson of David who will be the great shepherd king for unto Boaz, unto Ruth, unto Naomi, a son is born. And it was the zeal of the Lord to do this. To provide a son of whom the nations will one day say. For unto us a child is born. A son is given. And the government will be set upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of increase of his government. And of peace there will be no end. Oh, don't we need some peace right now, brothers and sisters? And on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and right with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And right before our eyes, He's doing it. All alone, this story, with this great shadow of death overcast We see God working. Remember back in chapter one, Elimelech, Mahlon, Chilion—they're dead. Naomi says when she gets back to Israel, she's empty. When I first read that story about, or that part of the story when Ruth gets back to, or Naomi gets back with Ruth into Israel, and she says, "I'm empty." I always took that as like a slap in the face to Ruth. I'm like, she's standing right there. Why say that, Naomi? But Naomi knows that unless a male child is born into her family, there is no hope for them in Israel anymore. Except for the kindness and mercy of God through provisions in the gleaning of fields. And Boaz drives the point or the theme of death home when he even says that Elimelech and Maholan are dead and will indeed be cut off back in, 4, in 4.10. But what does he say? He's, I mean, it, this is in the process of him buying this, but realize, friends, that if there is no redeemer, the name of the dead man would be cut off from among his brothers and from the city great. Elimelech's family line would be scratched out of the history books of Israel. But that's not God's plan. God's been at work all along granting flashes of new life. Consider what He does in, one, in chapter 1 verse 6. He visits Israel and gave them grain. This would have been life-giving. It's, it's one of the things that draws Naomi back to Israel. Israel. As she hears in the fields of Moab that God has provided. Well, I want to go see what God's up to. Although things are really bad right now. And this wouldn't have only provided food for the day, but it would likely have filled grain houses and blessed them with sustenance for at least one, if not multiple years to come. Naomi can't see past the grave of her son Maholan. and then in 220 god pours out his grace on naomi and ruth by providentially and sovereignly just so happening for ruth to stumble into boaz's field the potential redeemer who would radically and who would be radically generous and make the necessary sacrifices to ensure elimelech's name is not cut off in the town of bethlehem and now God ensures Boaz that Boaz redeems Ruth not to bless him with a beautiful, industrious, godly Moabite woman, which she is for a romantic getaway on the Mediterranean coast, but he does it to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the, that the lineage of Elimelech is not cut off and buried in a foreign land. And to conclude it all, He does this. He gives new birth, new life in the womb of Ruth. That life might be possible now for Naomi and Ruth. And for everyone. True, abounding, glorious, eternal life. And Obed is this new Redeemer and as 14 says, in His new role as Redeemer, He will be the one who will be the restorer of life and the nourisher of your old age. And He will give rise to the great King of Israel. The lineage of the King of Kings was once dead and buried in a foreign land, friends. And God uses Boaz to resurrect this line of the King of Kings. Jesus not only comes from the nation of Israel, but He comes from the nation of Moab. And Jesus then is the one who will redeem His people, both from the nation of Israel and all the nations. Every nation on the face of the earth will yield their praises to this great Redeemer. A Redeemer King whose life was fanned into flame by God's loving kindness and an Israelite kinsman redeemer in the little town of Bethlehem. Friends, it was the zeal of the Lord. It pleased Him to do this. It pleases God to take what is dead and raise it, resurrect it to new life. what we must realize is that we're not so much like Boaz. We're not like God in the story who comes in and saves the day. No, we're like Naomi, friends. We're dead. Specifically, the New Testament tells us in the book of Ephesians, that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all live. And we were following the passions of our flesh Friends, is that you today? Following the passions of your flesh? Are you carrying out the desires of your body? In doing so, we are like the rest of mankind. We are children of wrath, dead in our sins and trespasses. But God opens the womb of Ruth and gives a son. But God has mercy because He is rich in mercy. And with the great love in which He loved us when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, He makes us alive in Christ Jesus. You can be made alive today and this is by grace that you are saved, made alive, resurrected, raised, and we are raised with Him and seated with Him. Can you believe that? How astounding is that? Think about where you are, where you've been. You are seated. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are seated with Him in the heavenly places right now. Where's Christ? At the right hand of the Father. Where better else place could you imagine yourself to be than the right hand of the Father of God? You, friends, can receive mercy today. God can turn you from your sins. Look to Him for hope in a seemingly, whatever seeming hopeless situation you might find yourself. He will provide new life in Christ Jesus. Believe in Him as your only hope in life and death. He has been born to restore life to you and nourish you and grow you in godliness. Come to Him. Trust in Him. Follow Him. He gives you life and life eternal. So why does all this really matter to us? We're going to have to move quickly through these two points of application. I think one of the big things that we learn in this is that In chapter 4, we see someone make an amazing sacrifice. Because Boaz was not so enamored with what the world had to offer. He couldn't imagine a situation without Naomi and Ruth being provided for. He wasn't going to buy the land just to double his production. And friends, I, I simply want to ask you, how eager, how eager are you to sacrifice the treasures of this world so that you remained enthralled with the King of glory? Because that's what Boaz he, he set his eyes on God. He was following after God's ways. He was going to provide in, in circumstances that didn't make sense. He wasn't just after his own pleasure. Jesus gives us a stern warning about this in Luke chapter 12. About the, I would encourage you to read Luke chapter 12 verses 16 to 21 this week. If you're reading along in our reading plan, you've already crossed that passage. If not, start there and get caught up. We learn about a a rich fool who was very much concerned with the pleasures of this world. He thought himself to build, I should just build bigger barns to hold all my stuff. And Jesus says, foolish man, this day, your life will be required of you. You will have to give an account of just building bigger barns before God. And then he turns to his disciples in verse in chapter 12 and he says, O oh, you of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, but your Father knows that you need them. Indeed, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus says, sell your possessions then. Give to the needy. Make a sacrifice. Provide for yourselves money money bags that don't grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Oh, friends. Friends. Fight every urge to be foolishly pleased with the things of this earth. Sell your possessions if necessary. Give generously if necessary. Invest in the expansion of the kingdom of God, not your own kingdom or portfolio alone. Do not be about the expansion of your storehouses, of bountiful earthly treasure which upon the return of Christ, you will indeed have to give an account to God for. Don't pridefully presume upon God that you can dabble with earthly treasure for a time and then at some appointed time in the future concern yourself with God's kingdom. Concern yourself with God's kingdom today. Another thing we glean from God's providential work in Naomi's story is that our God knows exactly what He's doing he will get all of his people exactly where he wants them to be friends this is good news for you God knows what he's up to we must realize as we live in a broken sin-stained sin-corrupted world as we at times fall into pleasing our flesh and giving into sin that leads to death, we must realize that the narrow path to glory may not be as straight and comfortable as we want. There may be indeed dark days of loss, death, suffering, difficulty in mothering and parenting, sleepless nights, Unimaginable pain. Excruciating pain. Struggles. Seeming defeats. Bitterness. Calamity may indeed be at your feet. He calls us. or, But God preserves us in the midst of that. And He calls us to persevere in holiness. He calls us as a community of believers to uphold one another and bear one another's burdens. He calls us to weep with those who weep. In our darkest times, as one of my favorite pastors says, John Piper, in our darkest times, we tend not to see things clearly. And we need people around us who will help us see more clearly. Friends, we're almost home. I don't know how dark your day is right now, but we're almost home. We need God and one another to make it to heaven. And lastly, God in His kind providence of planning the sermon series as at pillar church has brought us to a season of harvest. Like we're literally in the time of the year where harvest is happening in the fields all around our nation. We're about to enter into a, sin, a, a, a time of thanksgiving. Could it be, friends, for the first time in your life that you, with Naomi and the nations, cry out, unto us a child is born. Prepare your hearts Enter into this season of Thanksgiving and Advent with a heart of anticipation to truly celebrate that a glorious child has been born unto us and His name is Jesus Christ. Treasure Him, friends. If you're not a Christian, hope in Him. If you're a believer, continue to hope in Him because He provides resurrection, new and eternal life. I, was, I received a call about a week ago and Shep told me that his dad had gotten out of a surgery. After those long five minutes, his dad had ind- indeed been resuscitated. Given new life. He was given a new chance at life. He's even been thinking about God and what God is up to in his life. I would encourage you to pray for Shep and his dad, Mr. Shepherd, to come to know Christ. You see, friends, receiving new life from God changes everything. And we can now live knowing that He who raised Jesus, the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Him and bring us into His presence. For it is all for your sake so that the grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4.15 New life has been given. Will you take it? Will you treasure it? Will you live in it? To the glory and thanksgiving of God. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank You for this day. Thank You for this time we've had together in Your Word. How glorious your word is. May you bless it. May you make it bear fruit in our lives. May we treasure this eternal life you have given us in Christ Jesus as we await our blessed hope in the raising, the eternal existence with you, God. O God, our great God of resurrection, to you be the glory. Amen.